we're taking too long because uh, we didn't know which of us was going to start this, yeah, aren't we? Uh, no, that's not true, Nathan. I always start this. Uh, this is a normal episode. Welcome back to the Cock and Bull Podcast. Shut this up! Is You're a- not doing it this week. Welcome back to the Cock and Bull Podcast. It's a history thing. I just I needed I needed to be able to cut you off. It's Mutiny. Kind of a, it's a kink thing for me. Um, <laughs> Daddy's in charge now. The asset denial. Nathan, God, we stopped doing this for three years because of the daddy thing, and I thought we were past it. Thought we were past it. We're never past it. It's never going away. You can't stop me. Uh, But that being said, uh, welcome back, one and all, uh, to Nathan Rambles about a thing that interests him for a while. This is not going to be formatted like a normal cock and bull, because that requires person in my chair did like research and wrote a script and has a plan and y'all know i don't do any of that that's i i spent four years just reading other people's shit uh it was way easier i promise it's so i i highly recommend it if you're gonna get into this industry just read things other people wrote it's way easier and in that spirit I'm going to be reading, uh, Spencer, a tale, and, and you all, a, a delightful tale from a magazine called Proteon, P-R-O-T-E-A-N, proteonmag.com, by one Mr. Devin Thomas O'Shea. Uh, it is on a topic that I have wanted to talk about for a very long time in some format or another. I have t- desperately tried to get on various, uh, engineering podcasts that are, uh, that shall remain nameless. You all know who you are. In order to talk about this, because I find it to be an incredibly interesting story, but I couldn't really find an angle on it. And then this story came out late last year, and I was like, aha, we have an angle. And he wrote it better than I could, so why would I, I'm just going to give him credit for it. So, Devin, thank you. Appreciate your work. Uh, everyone go to Proteon and read this there and pay them money on their Patreon, because we don't make money off this shit. Someone should. No, no, we're not opposed to the idea. If anybody has money they want to throw at us, we're not opposed to it. Oh, if anyone wants to give us money, give it, give Spencer money. Please, people. I've been saying that for years. Spencer, have you ever heard of Pruitt Igo? Yeah. No, the name means nothing to me, but I have heard it before. Pruitt Igo. Is Pruitt it um Igo? Do we want to 20 questions this? Is it We don't. We don't. A uh, company? Is it a brand? It's not it's none of those things. It is hmm. actually a uh, a very famous housing development in St. Louis. Where oh, we are from. That's where I've heard of this. Okay. Yes. Okay. So Pruitt, a, a, a quick background before I launch in, and, and and Devin does a much better job than I am. Pruitt Igo is this famous bugaboo for old shitty Republicans. Basically, <laughs> anyone of the Reagan era, our father, for instance, probably said something shitty about Pruitt Igo sometime in the eighties. Like, you just did it. It was the it was the poster child <laughs> for the failure of public housing in this country and it just okay. happens to be in our backyard and the reason it became the poster child is because of this very famous picture of them imploding the buildings with the arch in the background it's this yeah. very famous image that that uh that has this uh kind of power to it where it was sort of the you know they were they named it the decline of modern architecture of modernist architecture. Like this oh, was Jesus. the moment that we killed modernist architecture kind of a thing, um, which is wild. Um, and what but, we went but, back to, to classical. We, we said we need more columns. We must return as they say, we must return. <laughs> but that picture, that picture uh, uh, you can, you can find just Google Pruitt. I go P R U I T T dash I G O E. You'll see the picture. Yeah, very familiar. The true story of the Pruitt. I go housing complex may never be fully declassified. But what we do know is this. It involves the unlucky architect of the World Trade Center 
a lost stockpile of 100,000 baby teeth, and mountains of recently disclosed U.S. Army records that describe secret radiological experiments conducted on unsuspecting citizens in Minneapolis, Winnipeg, and St. Louis. I... Nathan, real quick, I need you to double check what you're holding. Is it a draft copy of Weirder Things, a straight-to-DVD copy, a ripoff <laughs> of those good, good Stranger Things seasons on those Netflixes? I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but oh, buddy, if that opening sentence isn't if that opening sentence doesn't tickle your interest, you can turn this off. It's not gonna. We're that's it. That's the thesis. Is this about Here to we be, go. It, was this one like a watershed discovery by kids on bikes? Uh, you know, we're, we're let's find let's dig a little deeper and out. see if it was kids on bikes. In 1952, construction began on a massive array of public housing high rises in North St. Louis, Missouri. West of the Mississippi River and the city's downtown, 33 tan apartment buildings were built to stand right next to one another like dominoes, a river of open space between for playgrounds, parking, and parks. Okay. Clearing 57 acres over three years of construction. Now, 57 acres, huge allotment of land. These took up a massive footprint in St. Louis. This is this is Nathan editorializing, but massive footprint in St. Louis. Three years sounds really short, too. <laughs> that yeah. sounds very short for building so many buildings. They, 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 you know what's amazing what you could do in the 50s when you gave a shit about infrastructure? You could do things. <laughs> it's true. Didn't we build the highways around this decade? Yeah. Oh, we're okay. going to get to the fucking highways. Clearing 57 <laughs> acres over three years of construction, pruitt Igo was a Herculean spending project in the name of urban renewal. Yet the towers wouldn't last two decades. In 1972, three pruitt Igo buildings were condemned and demolished, famously on TV. The rest followed shortly after, televised on the nightly news, hearkening the end of modernism. The pruitt Igo housing complex became a powerful cliché for Reaganite psychopaths, his words, not mine, who pointed at St. Louis's failure to maintain the development as a reason to nix welfare initiatives across the nation. As the story goes, mm -hmm. those people didn't know how to take care of things. They were dirty and criminal, so why throw more money at them? There is much more to this story. Pruitt-Igo was not proof of a Cold War logic. It did not display the inevitable failures of planned housing. It was an organized sabotage in a clandestine site for radiological weapons experimentation. These studies were conducted on innocent and unconsenting civilians who were mostly poor, mostly black, and mostly women and children. Someone suggested this at some point. I think it was Andy. I think Andy suggested Pruitt-Igo as an episode at one point. There you go. Welcome, Andy. You should. You should have. Trust me, I've been trying to get it on for years. I just couldn't figure out how. Like many urban renewal projects of the early 20th century, the purpose of Pruitt-Igo was to halt the miasma of so-called urban blight that was devouring miles of city blocks in the Rust Belt. Since before World War II, African Americans had been migrating north out of sharecropping economies and into industrial railroad meccas like St. Louis. Why would, they, made, why, why, why would they do that, Nathan? It sounds like things were going so great for them down south. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it was great. Uh, go, go, uh, go read Black Reconstruction in America or listen to some other handsome person read it to you uh, if you want to learn more about why people might have been moving out of the south at that time. After the war, white downtowns emptied into the suburbs abandoning the poor working class to slumlords and joblessness, a tale as old as fucking time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Urban planners like Harland Bartholomew, a name if I've ever heard one, let's be real. Yeah, wow. Harland Bartholomew believed St. Louis was on an endless roller coaster that could only go up. Like the infamous Robert Moses in New York, Bartholomew destroyed massive swaths of St. Louis's historic neighborhoods in the <sighs> 50s. 
clearing a path for interstate highways at the expense of the black community. <laughs> fucking, there we go. Fucking, yeah, no, that's, that is in fact Robert Moses. I mean, that guy was... Psychopath. Holy shit, was obsessed with... I think he wanted to install a drive through in... Oh, what the fuck was it? It was like the the New York Symphony or some shit. There was like there was a ridiculous building that he wanted to put a drive through in for no goddamn reason. It wouldn't surprise me because the man had the biggest erection for automobiles and their uh, destruction of our society that he it could, he could not be stopped. I normally I like to poke fun at these people who are obsessed with a new technology and that it's the way of the future. Like yes. these dipshits that want to strap goggles to your face right now for the rest of your mm-hmm. life forever for four thousand dollars dating the episode. Uh, except he was dead on in this case. They uh, maybe that's because he had a hand in making sure cars were the future. But well, holy that is shit. the thing. It is pretty easy to determine the future when you destroy large swaths of our infrastructure in order to build a highway system that literally only supports one way of living. So yeah, I mean, when you can put your finger on the scale and say this is how it shall be, and I'm the one with the money and the control, pretty easy. It was wild when we decided trains were the future for a hot minute, and rather than bulldozing neighborhoods to make more of them, we built them on tracks to go above the houses or dug below them. It's, it's wild what you can do when you have any any thought in your brain at all that isn't a a, a closed-in tunnel with a Tesla in it. Um, <laughs> but I digress. 20,000 black residents in neighbors, neighborhoods like Mill Creek lost their homes and were displaced. A lot of Many, fucking people. A lot, lot of people. fucking people. And many of them ended up at Pruitt Igo, which at first seemed like a good thing. The city destined to keep growing, and many wanted to move into these beautiful modern towers, into the poor man's penthouse. When you're kind of driven out of your property by these big fucking land development moguls, the Mr. Highway, as it were, big highway, mm-hmm. does that does that normally like leave you with some kind of compensation if you're forced out of your house? Do they have to cut you even the <laughs> smallest check? <laughs> oh, that's cute. No. Nothing. They don't have to give you anything. I'm pretty sure they just say eminent domain, get fucked. Wait, how the fuck, though? Because, like, isn't that the reason we can't build shit like high-speed rail or whatever? No, the reason we can't build shit like high-speed rail is because it is in... It, it is not profitable for capitalists to do it. Well, take take the failed track in in California, though, because they they try and build that from... What the fuck was it? Like, they wanted to run it from L.A. to uh, uh, Vegas, I think? Yeah, why not? The The... The whole track has become tremendously bogged down because every small town it cuts through, smaller than L.A. and Vegas, so take yeah. that with a grain of salt, but every town it cuts through has some authority to say, eh, we're not going to let you build the track unless you build a stop for us, which means yeah. this high-speed rail is now taking 70 stops and is not fast anymore. It's no, completely pointless. Not, because, again, why would these towns agree to that? That Why would anyone – but, again, in the 50s, who – but, again, these towns, who mm. has control of them? Who's in, who's in play here? Again, yeah, in, in the okay. 50s, when you have the 1950s black community in St. Louis, what I mean, yeah, organized a- power do they have to say no and we want and we want to extract these concessions from you? There is none. There's no it is a complete power imbalance. It's very true. The construction of Pruitt Igo's 33 high rises was a staggering achievement in public works. As the narrator of the 2011 documentary The Pruitt Igo Myth says, I would highly recommend everybody watch that documentary. It's fantastic. The complex was a modern break from the crumbling past that surrounded it. But that surrounding past was also what doomed the site from the start. It was hemmed in on all sides by North St. Louis's encroaching blight. The towers were supposed to be segregated. Already a great a great start. Amazing. They were built with segregation in mind. That's so Pruitt, nice. 
named after a Tuskegee Airman from St. Louis, held the black residents, while the white half of the complex's population would reside in Igo, which took its name from a congressman. Oh, I thought it was short for igloo. <laughs> yeah, my bad. It's my bad. Tidy common areas greeted visitors. Elevators whisked them up to their homes above the skyline. For some families, this was the first kitchen with a working stove, the first bed not shared with a sister or brother, the first room with a door of their own. No longer were mothers sleeping on cots in the kitchen. Community organization was automatic. Residents held local issue meetings in the basement activity rooms. Kids ran up and down the breezeways and played on the merry-go-rounds in between the buildings. For those who attained a coveted Pruitt-Igo tenancy, their lives improved markedly, literally and figuratively rising above St. Louis's dark, coal-ash slums. In Pruitt-Igo, the poor had a better view of the city than many of the rich, which you know they just can't let that stand. No, of course not. Yet circumstances were about to change. Partly as a result of St. Louis's Byzantine zoning laws, we haven't fixed those, the city hemorrhaged taxpayers through the 1950s. Civic money bled out into the county and suburbs, radically decreasing the demand for public housing. Which becomes a problem, as we're going to get into, because the result of this white flight was that the planned white inhabitants of pruitt Igo never materialized. And this actually, I don't believe he gets into well, this in this article, but I did, I, uh, another source I had read, uh, 99% Invisible, has a, like a 10-minute episode on, on pruitt Igo, And uh, it, it was a 1949 bill. It was like the Housing Administration Bill or Housing you know, Authority Bill. And it basically just re-altered how, they, they basically introduced federally-backed mortgages. So all the white people took those federally backed mortgages and bought land in the sub bought houses in the suburbs and got the fuck out of town. The only people that could afford to stay behind were the black residents. And the problem with this becomes unlike the progressive taxation funding base of British council housing or the centralized financing that had underwritten developments like red Vienna earlier in the century, red Vienna was a, uh, basically the city of Vienna at one point got like kind of like how Minnesota just got like real wild and liberal for a hot second here and like just passed a bunch of shit. Uh, Vienna did that on a much grander scale and basically created like an amazing, this incredible socialized housing system. And they just said, fuck you. We're going to, we we have the financing to do it. It's publicly owned. Like it's a, it's a need. We're going to create it, which is why Vienna has an insane cost of living now because it's such a great place to live uh, for that reason. Uh, but mm-hmm, yeah, no one will learn that lesson. Pruitt Igo's sole method of maintaining the complex and its, facil- and its facilities was to extract rent from the tenants. The poorest okay. of the poor would have to pay their own way. Again, this is something. This is a fundamental philosophy in public housing, and I don't understand it. If the housing is public, you are admitting that there is an essential need for it. Stop relying on poor people to pay that. If nothing else, was it not run like at cost rent? No. Right? So so no. nonprofit rent. I, I mean, even if it was, that can't be your foundation for funding it. You well, have to no, go of course in, not. the same way that the same way that high speed rail should not be a profit making endeavor. It should be an investment in your fucking society. If people need houses, build them and pay for them. And if you get money to offset some of your costs, awesome. Right. But again, right. it's it's we how don't like Olympic like that. it's how Olympic villages and shit are built. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you get a shitload of subsidization from the uh, uh, foreign teams, countries, and things like that to to create temporary housing. And then the minute they move out, in an ideal scenario, like say I think Toronto has one of these. Um, but you know, places that the the games are not immediately abandoned and become a fucking relic site. 
Uh, those yeah. those apart they become apartments and usually nonprofit apartments too, since they're not owned by landlords. They're owned by these uh, uh, committees or, or I don't know how you'd put it, um, but these like athletic organizations that just yeah, you know, most of this shit got paid like as long as the rent is at a low enough rate to pay back the loans it took to build the building. After that point, it's never going to raise. It's just fundamentally indexed there. Which is going to be cute when they have the uh, Olympics in L.A. in like 2028 and uh, we find out that they uh, not only are they going to uh, murder a bunch of people in order to build those houses, they're then going to find a way to give them to slumlords immediately. Just like while oh, that's the Olympics just gonna are still happening. Profit. Let's yeah. not get let's not get it twisted. That's going to be written on. That's like going to be in the press letter. Like it's a good thing. Don't mm-hmm. worry. We're building these new for profit housing materials. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. Residents in some areas of St. Louis noticed unusual activity in the days and nights throughout 1953 and into 1954. Dr. Lisa Martino Taylor writes in Behind the Fog, an examination of the United States Cold War era radiological weapons program. You know, that A thing that we all know about. That. Second uh-huh. time you've mentioned radiological weapons tests. You're pretty familiar with that, right? You're, we're familiar with it. We're, Oppenheimer's coming out soon. We're about to learn all about nuclear testing oh, and all of its yes. fun effects. This is going to be great. Yes, Cillian Murphy is going to really grimace at the screen for three hours. <laughs> I'm going to go watch it and love every second of it. I don't give a shit. Pump it into my veins. Uh, large puffs of a billowy powder were sprayed into the air by strangers in passing vehicles affixed with spray devices. The, the, those are cigarettes. I think this is the 50s. Those are cigarettes. The luminous powder... Lingered oh. in the air behind the slow-moving <laughs> oh, vehicles. Oh, they're glow-in-the-dark cigarettes. <laughs> hey, kids. Medical science of the 1950s was still pervaded by the racist premise that there were great differences between black and white bodies, including utterly wrong-headed notions like the assumption that black people didn't experience pain as intensely as white people or that they were immune from heat sicknesses and diseases like malaria. Hmm. hmm. I've never. Huh. I've always heard that weird eugenics shit to justify that they're, you know, um, in their words, not mine. I don't know, not smart enough to have free will or some shit. I've never heard it specked in their favor, where it's like, okay, but on the bright side, though, like they're <laughs> they've got like triple immunity to disease. Like they've well, no, got that, <laughs> total resistance actual- to non-magical physical damage. That was a real thing. That was honestly part of the reason they argued for why they should be slaves. Uh, Physical superiority and shit. That no one could, no one was built the way that the black man was built. The black man was built to handle the conditions of working in the hot sun all day. He loved it. It was where he felt at home. Like that's the, that literal kind of like positive eugenics was baked into the equation of why slavery was right and why that was acceptable. Again, black reconstruction in America. Highly recommend those fucking goalposts were always shifting too because you can that's all well and good and then 30 years down the road you say the same shit about the chinese man you've made build your railroad for no money yeah yo no it it makes perfect sense it makes perfect sense i'm starting to conclude everything on the other side of that ocean (laughs) is built for physical labor they're perfect for it not me though i need a fainting couch please oh no are you kidding me no i'm from england look at look at my pasty ass do you think i should be allowed to see the sun Anyway, I'm superior for some reason. <laughs> Long after the Civil War, the that white supremacist streak persisted in modern science, including the clandestine science of weapons development. From experimentation with mustard gas during World War I to the Manhattan Project, which spawned the nuclear age. Mm-hmm. Oppenheimer, coming to theater soon. Oppenheimer. <laughs> Are we fucking sponsored? 
<laughs> you didn't know this, Spencer, but that's the whole reason we're doing it this way. Yes, uh, this episode oh is, in God. fact, sponsored by uh, by Christopher Nolan. Oh, um, my God. Go see it in he, IMAX, folks. Go see it in IMAX, folks. There's no IMAX theater within 100 miles of you. I don't give a shit where you live. <laughs> Most associate the Manhattan Project with Oppenheimer, with Hiroshima, and with mushroom clouds over red deserts. But the program's remit was far more open-ended than the development of the bomb itself. One arm of project research was studies on the effects of radioactivity on human bodies. Guys, Marie Curie figured it out a long time ago, and it ain't good. This field proved a good career move for ambitious scientists looking to climb the ladder into lucrative positions and prestigious academic postings in chemistry and physics department. Oh, dear God, Spencer, if there's one uh, sentence that sums up bad times ahead on a cock and bull, it's it's good career move for ambitious scientists. I love an ambitious scientist. I love when <laughs> they really try and push the envelope. <laughs> I love when they've got really big goals and they don't care what it takes to reach them. <laughs> A growing understanding of the lethality of airborne radiation inevitably raised the question, how can this be used as a weapon? Yep, usually. Yeah, usually that is the question. As the decades of criminal malpractice involved in the Tuskegee syphilis experiments dragged on, the U.S. government continued to treat citizens as guinea pigs. The Cold War era saw scientific trials that involved injecting unwitting U.S. citizens with plutonium, and dousing San Francisco and many other places with test sprays of bacterial bioweapons. Yep, in, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In tricked 1952, some, uh, some, the first... Oh, yeah. Well, we tricked some, like, affluent middle-class college kids into, like, you know, getting drugged to be super soldiers in MKUltra, right? What was that? Like, LSD straight to the brain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, plutonium, just natural next step. In 1952, the first open-air atomic fallout studies began in Minneapolis just as construction was getting underway on Pruitt-Igo. Army researchers, Martino Taylor writes, would release and then measure cloud travel of the material and engage in penetration studies inside residents and buildings, such as the aging brick structure that was Clinton Elementary School in Minneapolis. It was the job of the Atomic Energy Commission to design and field test radiological weapons. The first step, wrote one R.B. Snap in 1948 Atomic Energy Commission memo, R.B. Snap, my new favorite name in this article, memo, should be The first step, wrote one R.B. Snap in a 1948 Atomic Energy Commission memo, should be contamination of moderately large areas with graded doses of selected materials whereby materials can be delivered on the ground or as aerosol clouds, in which case they would be effective when inhaled. Did, when did, Here's when, the problem when did with they this have to glow, though, yeah, is my ahead. question. When did they have to be iridescent? And Yeah, that's, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And more importantly, why, is, why am I going to have to look at the people that think that chemtrails are a thing and go, God damn it, they have evidence, <sighs> though. They're probably right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this isn't good. Just, here's where the chemtrail people are a little bit off. Uh, they used to be so overt about it that they would spray glow in the dark clouds out the back of a very slow moving car. I don't know why they think that they would be so obvious that they would do it from a plane that you could still see. Surely they found a way to, I don't know, <sighs> fucking make post trucks slowly secrete shit. I, I don't know. There's just got to be. Ah, I don't know. I don't know, man. There's got, I know, There's. you think there's got to be, but I'm like, God damn it. The lies began immediately. Brazen contamination of Minnesotans required a fanciful cover story. 
Minneapolis neighborhoods were canvassed by Army Chemical Corps representatives who knocked on doors to inform the citizenry that the government was at work inventing a gigantic, billowing, city-sized cloud. A new defense strategy, they said, which would hide the city from Russian bombers, sparing it from nuclear attack. We're building a cloud. We're making a giant cloud. They won't even know you're here. Honey, we bought a cloud. Their maps, their maps will just become immediately like, uh, nope, there's North Dakota. No, yeah, no, no, Minnesota. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. South Cloud. Wow. We're constructing a large cloud, then we're going to put the city on top of it, and we're going to lift away into the sky, free of government interference. <laughs> also, the racism will be there, too. This is Bioshock Infinite. Let's go. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're also going to do magic and shit, right from the hands. <laughs> Billowing plumes of harmless fog would conceal important industrial sites. <laughs> I do love the concept that if it's cloudy, they don't know how to drop a bomb. I just, I can't believe, because here's the problem with that, Spencer, is this is after World War II. The Blitz happened. I've seen England. It's one giant cloud. A tool of, of giant widespread destruction. Yeah, no, if they can't see exactly where they're hitting, they won't waste the resources dropping that shit. <laughs> uh, for a nuclear attack. It's a nuke. <laughs> they could miss by miles. It's not like it's the fucking Death Star and they got to fire it into the exhaust vent of the city. <laughs> like They got to... They gotta nail a womp womp from 400 <laughs> click clacks away or whatever the fuck it is. I don't know. When sprayer trucks prowled the neighborhoods, casting out rolling tufts of soft gray vapor, the people of Minneapolis had hoped would feel a sense of security at the ingenious precautions of their benevolent government. <laughs> in reality, the Army Chemical Corps was releasing a cadmium zinc mixture into the air in order to measure how an atomic blast would destroy radioactive contaminants in an urban area. Wait, hang on. What? So they're, they're trying it. to test how well a nuke is going to disperse chemical elements in the air. So are they spraying uh-huh. this combination to the air and they're going to drop a bomb over the city? Like... Well, no, I think the theory is, is they're just using cadmium, uh, the, the same kind of a, a similar radioactive material and then seeing what its spread pattern is in a, uh-huh. in a dead city kind of a thing. Like, okay. how does it, does it get into walls? Does it get through buildings? Does brick stop it? Does lead stop it? The kind of things that you absolutely want to know, but just shouldn't, I don't know, test on your unwitting citizens. How are they going to come collect the data on this? <laughs> Oh, you remember me. I was here three weeks ago telling you about the big cloud we're building, right? How are you sleeping? <laughs> Any of your teeth falling out? <laughs> What's your house made of? Bricks? <laughs> Any dogs died recently in the neighborhood I should know about? <laughs> no, we're still building the cloud. Don't worry, miss. We're still building the cloud. <laughs> it's going to be huge. This feels like a, I know it has to be because everything is, but this has to have been a Simpsons episode of the, they build a cloud over Springfield to stop global warming or something. Sounds Come like on. a fucking Fallout scenario. Like Vault Tech oh. said they were going to build a very big cloud. <laughs> Meanwhile, well, they, they say this Army Corps of Engineer guy, they don't even need the script for Fallout 5. Just do this, Todd. <laughs> Just your door to door salesman. Hello, we're building the giant cloud. Would you like in? <laughs> Too bad. You're going to be under it anyway. This is a fair <laughs> warning. I have great news. It's totally free. Totally free. How's your cough? (laughs) (laughs) What color's your piss lately? (laughs) Do you have a sample? (laughs) The study was, among other things, poorly designed. 
Ground-level sprayer trucks are a dubious means of simulating enormous cause of particulate that are flung into the highest levels of the atmosphere by a nuclear fucking blast. Fucking is my addition. <laughs> Questionable methodologies notwithstanding, similar tests were approved and conducted in Winnipeg because our friends up north aren't immune from this bullshit either. However, the people of Minneapolis were not as gullible as Chemical Core had hoped. And uh, it just brings me... I, Minneapolis, you're on a roll lately. Just keep it going, gang. I, 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 mad respect. I can't believe they didn't buy it. I cannot believe they didn't buy From this. From behind the fog, field personnel encountered a considerable number of refusals to cooperate with requests for permission to locate sampling equipment in homes. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? I just want to hang out in your house and kind of sniff around. It's a week. I'd like to place this ominous sounding machine in the corner. No reason. Just working on the cloud. What do you mean you don't want my potted plant <laughs> with a wire coming out the back of it? Why is it clicking so much? Don't worry about it. This is a rare form of fight because it doesn't take water. Please don't don't put water on it. Just don't put don't put you can put urine samples on it. You can put them next to it. Actually, put them next to it. Please put your plant out on your front porch. <laughs> Three times daily. The cloud's coming along great. All right, we'll see you next week. <laughs> Citizens found ways of obstructing and tampering with the experiments, ultimately leading to the program's halting in Minnesota. I just love that Minnesota's like, fuck you, we're going to fuck this shit. I, I feel like your bullshit. Tampering has to be a glitzy way of saying kicking the door-to-door -door man in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> Giving him a good old Minnesota fuck you. <laughs> Oops, didn't see you there, right in the balls. The U.S. Uh, <laughs> Army decided that the next phase of studies would have to be clandestine. The Stanford Research Group, funded by the U.S. military, now, again, I'm pretty sure Stanford did some awful things, uh, so get ready for this one, gang, uh, sent a man named Philip Layton to Missouri to design a new set of open-air studies, because, well, those Minnesota ones may be on it. The rubes in Missouri will sure buy this hook, line, and sinker. Bring on the cloud! And if, they, if they're going to be if they're gonna be clandestine about it, if they're going to keep this one a secret, they probably got a chance. I mean, we're famous for oh, not yeah. asking questions out here. Famous. Yeah, oh no, we don't want answers. This data, it was thought, would aid U.S. soldiers on future battlefields when tactical or nuclear explosions would accompany conventional warfare. Fun. St. Louis was the Army's closest match to the Soviet targets, Martina Taylor wrote. The city has geographical similarities to Moscow, a densely populated area with access to a large river. I feel like that's probably a little vague in like on the Venn diagrams, like St. Louis is exactly like Moscow. It's a city near water. Like British I've played civilization. You build the fucking city near water. In other news, the list of cities just like Moscow have extended to uh let's see, Cleveland, uh New Orleans, uh holy shit, wow, it's just getting longer. New York. Tess and welcome, uh welcome back. A uh, long-time friend of the show, tests are planned at a Monsanto plant located in St. Louis proper, representing a large chemicals manufacturing complex at the Soconi Vacuum Refinery in East St. Louis. Have they won a Nobel Peace Prize yet? Is that, have they, I feel like, I feel like they're due. The Sacconi Vacuum Refinery in East St. Louis represented a large petroleum refining complex, and the Granite City Steel Corporation represented a large steel manufacturing complex, including blast furnaces, open hearth furnaces, and blooming and rolling facilities. Yes, many of these sound like empty factories on, on St. Louis now, okay? Oh, yeah. Experts were searching for targets with a high population density as well. For example, Martino Taylor wrote, 
Kolpino, located in the Leningrad area near the Izhora River, was listed as a population target. Kolpino had major industrial facilities and a concentration of tall concrete apartment buildings comprising of densely populated urban areas. And it was an area that the U.S. Army expressed strong interest as an offensive civilian target. The great U.S. military, again, looking at our ex- offensive civilian targets. Really got to get those in line. Get hey, ready some to go. armchair generals on Reddit have told me the only way to win wars is to annihilate civilians. Cochrane Gardens, Vaughn Homes, Pruitt Igo, and Car Square Village Apartments were all low-income housing blocks that conveniently fell inside Chemical Corps' test zones. I would not want to live in Car Square Village. What a shit name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it feels... The uh, historian Leonard Cole, a bioterrorism scholar at Rutgers, man, I would love <laughs> bioterrorism <laughs> scholar. Cool. Shit, man, you got a pretty narrow field. I, I, good on you. Cool. <laughs> the testers theorized that poor people were less likely to object to strange happenings in their neighborhood, and if they did, the police would be there to control them. They're sure as shit not going to call the cops about it. Oh, God damn it. God damn it. I what sucks is they're right. <laughs> like, they're right. It they're right. Sucks. It's it's the trick poor, to living. You have shit a... to worry about. Like, do I have food? Can I sleep somewhere safe? For sure. Like, you need these rich fucks up in Minneapolis are just like, mm, hey, ooh, I'm sitting out on my porch. What's that? You got the glowing shit out there. I don't look like a cloud. And they'll fucking they'll fucking ask some questions. Poor folks got stuff to do. They got stuff Jesus. to do, and they know better than to just open the door at random times. Yes, you don't do that. Police are coming. ACAB includes the guy with the weird hat and the bio suit on asking to put a clicking plant in your apartment. Hello, we're not making a cloud out here. (laughs) Absolutely not making a cloud. It is very, very funny to me, and I should have made the connection earlier, but if we do release these canonically, the last episode we recorded also involved a man making clouds, and I do love that (laughs) canonical through line to get us from one episode to another. (laughs) St. Louis military defense contractors like Wright City Steel and Monsanto Chemical received advance notice of the studies and were informed of their true purpose. Information that was concealed even from the mayor's office, which was led to believe the cover story about an obscuring cloud to defend from air attack. So again, they explicitly went to Monsanto and Wright City Steel and said, all right, we're, we're going to poison the poor people a little bit just to test, just to see what's going on. We're, we're, we're totally going to poison the poor people. So you, just so you know. Probably don't do that. And then they went to the mayor and went, building the cloud, baby. <laughs> Let's go, Mr. Mayor. Come we're on. Gonna, we're going to see. We're having a contest. It might, might, be, it might be a little bit hazy out, Mr. Mayor. That's because we're hosting the biggest cigarette festival. That's right. <laughs> we're going to see who can smoke the world's largest cigarette in one pull. We've got about 80 of them lined up just in case folks can't do it. <laughs> <coughs> I'm talking Ugh. this thing. This thing's like seven feet long, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> a false report to the same effect was planted in the St. Louis media. The military was testing out smoke screens, claimed the article, shielding the city from aerial observation. The press was made aware of the program, but only a few articles were written about it during the period, according to the Army Chemical Corps. Study designer Philip Layton tossed caution and scientific ethics to the wind along with scads of toxic particles. Well, this is why we want ambitious men. (laughs) It was decided that the U.S. Public Health Service would release the chemicals. The agency had a more innocuous name that didn't connote military science. The chemical core would be tasked with measuring the radiation level. 
So U.S. public health is just spraying cans, and then you've just got chemical core coming in behind in the radiation suits. Like, hello, don't mind us. They're kind of like holding their hands over their eyes, like doing the little squints, like, mm, 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 the smoke screen's working pretty good. I don't know. I can barely see them up ahead. <laughs> All's well. Gives a big thumbs up to the, the folks out on the front porch. Soon, St. Louis residents began to report soldiers dressed for germ warfare patrolling the streets. The fuck does that mean? Unidentified buzzing came from school rooftops, commandeered as emplacements for strange machines. Light poles in public areas like Forest Park were quietly outfitted with ticking boxes, sample collectors that would register fallout levels. All over the city could now be found sprayers, sensors, and all manners of mysterious equipment installed on street corners, rising from bushes, and affixed to rooftops of the 33 buildings of Pruitt-Igo. And have we established what they just sprayed all over the city yet? Well, like, for 40 years, Spencer, the truth about these cloud uh, experiments would be entirely unknown to the public. Until, not until 19, those kids not on until bikes showed up. 1994 was their true nature and the extent of the danger they posed revealed. Even then, it came to light only after Missouri Rep. Richard Dick Gephardt acquired what? files disclosing facts from the program's true nature. The Clinton era exhumation of these documents revealed that the experiments sprayed both a cadmium-zinc mixture and an additional fluorescent substance, a harmless simulant, a traceable chemical meant to simulate the radioactive debris of nuclear fallout. But Dr. Martino Taylor's findings, relying on the Army's own documentation, indicate that this additional chemical was anything but harmless. How the fuck do you harmlessly simulate radioactive material? That doesn't, that's not, what, huh? Huh? Well, you know what's interesting is that one of the compounds that was sprayed on the public was FP2266, according to the U.S. Army documents. FP2266 was made by New Jersey Zinc. Uh, it's now made by the U.S. Radium Corporation. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take a guess here. They did not spray proto-smoke machine stuff. FP-2266 is a military nomenclature, Martino Taylor notes, generally representing zinc-cadmium sulfide mixture, which notably does not exclude additives. Although FP might stand for fluorescent particle or fluorescent paint, the acronym FP was also used in similar studies to signify radioactive fission products and or fallout particles. They keep saying fluorescent paint. Am I under? Am I understanding right that for 40 years, if you kind of looked around Forest Park, you would just see some glow-in-the-dark shit? Mm-hmm. Seems that way. Just like the tips of grass as the sun is rising. Oh, I love how it grows that radioactive green. U.S. Radium Corp. was infamous for its product Radium-226, a highly radioactive Mm. compound that sickened or killed many of the company's female factory workers who have made the history books as the cautionary workplace tale of the the, Radium uh, Girls. The Radium Girls, the ones who were making the -the glow-in-the-dark watches and shit. They would lick their paintbrushes and then their tongues would fall off. Yeah. The same yeah. stuff that uh, an in, in, industrious young man on, a, <laughs> oh, on an early dollop name? used to make make his eye. I, I can't. I'd have the to go dude back and trying to make a nuke, right? He was trying to make like a made, mini nuke. No, the dude that made a nuclear reactor in his backyard. <laughs> Cruising around in his Geiger cat. The army took extreme. Oh, yeah. The army took extreme caution with its equipment during the cloud experiments, outlining specific decontamination protocols. Another hint that FP-2266 might well not refer to innocuous paint, but to lethal fission products. Philip Layton noted that the particle sizes of the material should be kept between 70, uh, they should be kept small. So small particles could probably be inhaled and deposited in the lung. Martino Martino Taylor believes that FP-2266 and radium-2266 are in fact the same compound. 
Still, there is no smoking gun, and these are embedded experiments where levels of secrecy are used to firewall sensitive information. The available records obfuscate what happened. So far, no document explicitly says that uranium or strontium-90 was present in the strayers. That said, only a year after St. Louis tests had concluded, the Army's own principal investigator admitted that FP-2266 was poisonous and had toxic effects. It's worth noting at this time that 70% of Pruitt-Igoe's residents were children under the age of 12, and that this would not be the last government experiment visited upon the black communities of Pruitt-Igoe. By 1966, Pruitt-Igoe had become hell. When one drives or walks into Pruitt-Igoe, a local worker related, he is confronted by a dismal sight. Glass, rubble, and debris litter the streets. The accumulation uh -huh. is astonishing. Abandoned automobiles have been left in the parking areas. Glass is omnipresent. Tin cans are strewn throughout. Paper has been rained on and stuck in the cracked, hardened mud. Pruitt-Igoe, from without, looks like a disaster area. To say nothing of the concurrent, inevitable disaster of its irradiation. Yeah, no, feral ghouls, definitely. You forgot to mention feral ghouls do climb out of the cars. Feral ghouls. They're coming. Uh, you can kill them for their caps. Um, I, now seems like a decent time to mention, uh, when you talk about the the absolute destruction and the, the desolation of Pruitt-Igo, um, the state that it's left in by this point, I believe Pruitt-Igo is what inspired the sketch apartment complex in Candyman. Oh, really? I believe so. I Like, it's almost visually shot for shot the same building um oh wow yeah same, st the movie about uh, a pseudo historical event that may have actually happened i don't fucking know but something not the Candyman part but the part where these apartments had cheaply installed bathroom mirrors that you could pull the mirror off and it would lead you straight into the next apartment and that was used to murder a couple neighbors in a terrible neighborhood in one of these horribly Jesus. you know ruined public housing projects i'm i'm not i'm not convinced this article doesn't end with that being a thing but anyway pruitt i go inspired Candyman. deeply impoverished increasingly segregated and heavily vandalized neglect worsened crime rates rose because the complexes lacked the funds for repair or security mice and roaches thrived as the complex deteriorated outsiders stayed away at least someone's thriving the buildings were increasingly described as blighted breeding grounds for crime hmm the elevator sometimes stopped, and no one would come to save tenants trapped between floors. Former resident Sylvester Brown described how he and his brother would pull open the doors and climb up the cables to the next floor. The garbage incinerators were too small and often broke down. Filth piled up around the chute and sometimes caught fire, which caused smoke to fill the elevator shaft. Oh, good. Okay. In winter of 1968, when temperatures dipped below freezing, water lines burst in the Pruitt-Igo buildings. The resulting flood froze, but as temperatures rose again, the ice thawed and a sewer backed up, sending raw sewage bubbling up from underground. I'm starting to think it, that building this in three years was more of a speedrun and less of an accomplishment. At this point, catastrophes such as these were a normal part of living in Pruitt-Igo, avoidable disasters that were the result of neglect. The poison pill in the housing contract was operation and maintenance. Impoverished tenants couldn't afford the skilled repair people who were necessary to keep this new modern building running. Spiraling costs drove residents out, and by the end of the decade, rents had been increased three times in one year, <laughs> creating an absurd situation in which low-income tenants were paying three-quarters of their wages to live in a dangerous public high-rise with burning trash and possibly radiation. All right. Okay. Sorry, I am seven hours late for this, but let's get you out of this elevator. By the way... I don't do this shit for free. Rent's going up. <laughs> the building's just about the cloud. <laughs> They're almost done with it, I've heard. 
It's fucking crazy. My grandpa was around when they started it. Just like the, the idea that this building is getting demonstrably worse in every respect and they're charging more for it. What the yeah. fuck? Have they even come in and painted over the outlets? <laughs> I mean, we're all... Oh, yeah. Have they even provided that indispensable service? On top of the deteriorating amenities, policies imposed by the St. Louis Welfare Department had the effect of shattering the black families of this project. The service declared that no able-bodied man who was unemployed would be permitted to live in a unit if its female tenant was receiving aid for her children. That just um, so fucking yeah. Okay. There, well, sense. hold on. Before we before we go off on this, like we should, there were male night staff at Pruitt Igo who were tasked with searching apartments for dads and boyfriends hiding in the closet or under the bed. So these people are living in a fucking RA situation, like you're living in a college dorm and it's after hours and you can't be in your girlfriend's fucking apartment. I just the what what is the implication here that a single mother's wages should be sufficient to cover the boyfriend here? Like, oh no 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 no. What it should be is that if if this man can work. But this woman is receiving government aid to to keep her children out of starvation, to keep her out of poverty. So basically, it's the same bullshit that just went through in this debt ceiling where they're doing more work requirements for welfare. It's this kind of shit. It is the history and legacy of this kind of shit uh -huh. where we just cannot fathom giving people something for anything. Even with disability in, the, in this country, like the disability yeah. payments that you make uh, or that you receive, rather are not sufficient to pay for any single person's living expenses. I, I couldn't tell no. you the number off the top of my head, but the last time I heard it, I, I guffawed. Like, I've had rent that is more than that. It's literally yeah. not enough to survive on. But if you no. work, like if you go out and seek a job as you will need to, to survive off what little money they give you, you don't get the disability money anymore because I guess you're not disabled enough that you can't work. Like... It is, it, and and, it, and this is again. It is these kind of policies that lead to the failure of complexes like this. It's these kind of policies that lead to increases in crime, that lead to addiction, that we, lead to all of the things you are trying to solve. We just police and like enforce the strictest fucking rules on the people who are struggling the hardest. It's like we yeah. don't we don't give a goddamn shit what the rich people do. There is no, no. rules for you. You can Absolutely like speed not. and kill a kid and you'll get a slap on the wrist. You can, I guess, barrel your car drunk into the pharmacy of a Target, and at worst, you're going to pick up garbage for six months. But it's like, God forbid, if you are, if you're not hiding under the bed when the Pruitt yeah. Igo security oh, yeah. man comes into the apartment, holy shit, you're in for yeah. it, buddy. Yo, buddy. The system operating Pruitt Igo was inhuman. Residents and social workers felt the disdain in the prison-like atmosphere. The welfare system seemed to use public money as a means of social and behavioral control without providing any tenant protections in exchange. Pruitt Igo's housing was full of single mothers. As a result, strangers and outsiders would arrive and lurk around. Men were back from the Vietnam War, and mothers were trying to make ends meet. Prostitution and crime rates furnished a pretense to further stigmatize Pruitt Igo in the public mind. To the media and everyone else outside its walls, the development was a symbol of the pathology of black crime, black drug addiction, and black violence, all of which were taking place with the Watts riots and fresh in our memory. So it was Chicago. It, so the same way that every politician or anyone else says Chicago is just like a, a catch-all for like mm -hmm. Chicago. This was what Pruitt-Igo was. 
in 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 a in a bygone generation. This is what Pruitt Igo was for. If you're listening to this and you're in our age cohort and you live in the St. Louis area, ask your parents what they think about Pruitt Igo if they were here. Because I guarantee you, they probably have a lot of internalized shit like this about that complex. Um, because that's what was pumped out during the '80s. That this was like a Reagan. Every Reaganite, every libertarian jackass, every every motherfucker that wanted to say, oh, your welfare's broken and all this kind of shit and welfare queens and all this bullshit, they would, Pruitt Igo was the fucking whipping boy. for, And now it's just been gone for so long that they can't use it because it's not fresh in everyone's memory. But it was there and it was the exact same playbook. I also want to know that, not to dwell on it too much, but I really can't stop picturing the the Pruitt Igo police examining the bedrooms for the for the gentleman hanging out in the apartment. Oh, for sure, for sure, yeah, yeah. You're you're no knock raids looking for looking for <laughs> someone's boyfriend. When they when they catch a gentleman in one of these apartments, how do they suss out whether he's working or not? Whether he's an able-bodied working man? Well, Spencer, I mean, oh, I just because it's I mean, not like Pruitt have... Igo says no dudes allowed. This is only the fucking <laughs> women's dorm, right? Like it's. <laughs> It, is he supposed to present his work card? That's not a I thing. Think, <laughs> no. Again, it's not. This is, and, and you're, and you're exposing what it is. It's, it's ludicrous. It's absolutely. It is, it is simply a scare tactic and a intimidation tactic and a control tactic. And it's this fucked by, up per, uh, per, perception of like the welfare queen that oh, this woman's receiving any government money. Well, naturally, all of her friends are going to move in and they're going to yeah. get free room and board under here. Because let me tell you, when you have three hundred dollars a month, you can feed a family of fifty, and they're all going to take advantage it, of this poor woman. That's right. I'm looking out for her. It's 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 sick. It's it's really really sick. Ireland and again, it, it shows. And it's so. And it is not. It is not unique to America. I don't want to make it sound like this is something that doesn't exist in other cultures. Um, but it is. It is exceptional <laughs> in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that is that is rather rather stark uh, compared to the rest of the world. Like this is not how things should be like anyone that thinks this is normal no look anywhere else in time in history and around the like around the world right again red vienna is a great example of what you can do uh with public housing and it's just insane that this is what we're left with but pruitt igo was not designed or operated by the st louis black community it was built to fail by the actions of white politicians and capital Local banks and chambers of commerce were not keen on the idea of public housing to begin with, but construction companies enjoyed the large-scale federal contracts. They got one check for knocking down the slums, another to build the high-rises. The 33 towers of Pruitt-Igo were built tall, then, like their residents, neglected, damaged, and left to rot. A second round of Army Chemical Corps tracer experiments began in St. Louis on May 27th, 1963. Swear to God, it's not a cloud. (laughs) It isn't a cloud. Wink. At a time when Pruitt-Igo was still in the early phases of its decline. At least 43 open-air dispersion experiments were conducted day and night during this battery of tests. A lot of experiments. Dosages, Martino Taylor writes, were measured at several heights along the tether or a balloon flown at a single location, usually a park or a vacant lot. The aerial data collection was a special study to measure what officials refer to as fallout, tiny particles with diameters I, of less than 1.5 microns, when you, small enough for lung <laughs> inhalation. When you talk about the, the, the varying doses, I am imagining every, every night for these 43 experiments, there's a scientist lab coat goggles in a hot air balloon with a big beaker of dense gas with a label that says very lethal and then one that says not so lethal 
He's just pouring it out. I'll make you all see. Uh, local St. Louis residents, get ready for your, uh, oh, fuck, I know that thing alarm to go off, because here you go. Over one ton of toxic material was dispersed throughout St. Louis between May 1963 and 1965. Army Chemical Corps personnel counted the radioactive airborne particles using equipment affixed to KMOX's radio's massive broadcast tower. The huh? material was sprayed in the areas of Clayton, the Faulkner Roads, a nice of Columbus building on South Grand, and a pond east of the St. Louis Science Center's planetarium in Forest Park. I'm still getting over KMOX. What the fuck? They, they, they the used... voice of Cardinals baseball and radiation, baby, bring it home, stand the man. AM radio into an even bigger weapon than the boring shit it is. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that more material was sprayed in Clayton, of all places. That kind of surprised me a little bit, because I'm like, oh shit, rich people live there, but hot damn. I the station uh... release sites were 2.8 miles apart. Appearing as central targets within the field of sampling arcs stood the imposing Pruitt-Igo housing complex, Martino Taylor writes. 22,000 people lived in the targeted zone. Much of the atomic cloud studies generated completely useless data. It was marred by bad design, nonsensical collection methodologies, and a host of other issues. It appears little was learned in the course of contaminating thousands of people in an American city. Perhaps the knowledge informed some post-war nuclear survival strategy stored away in some Pentagon basement, but all available sources seem to include little to nothing of value. Despite this, Philip Layton went on to become a powerful scientist. He served as chairman of Medtronics, formerly the Stanford Aerosol Lab, which processed data and assisted in the 1960s cloud experiments. I don't like that that's the kind of powerful he reached and not that he could, like, I don't know, go through walls <laughs> and and see under people's clothing and he could fly a little bit. Like, just for, like, six minutes a day, he could hover two inches off the ground. Fuck, man. He was a veteran of military operations Buster Jangle and Plum Bob. Stupid. Atmospheric nuclear detonation experiments that exposed yeah. between 6,500 no. and 9,000 military radiation, maritonelda radiation. You can't, you cannot name such a devastating, impactful experiment something so dumb. What the fuck? <laughs> That's so fucking terrible. The, um the Umpty Dumpty, which was an experiment where they wondered if, if, if plutonium could kill dogs fast. The Wingle Wongle experiment, where they wanted to see what happens if you cut twins in half. Like, Spencer, let me let me, me explain to you what these tests actually were in case you haven't seen the iconic videos of them. Uh, soldiers are ordered into foxholes with uh, no protection other than goggles. A okay. nuke is set off in the distance, and the troops are ordered to march toward the mushroom cloud, seemingly just to see what happened. All right. Um, I have a guess what'll happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think they're going to get sunburned. All of this great work earned Leighton the title of president at the Stanford Aerosol Lab, a research, or at the SRI, a research organization established by the trustees of Stanford University. Was one of was these. also the chairman of their uh, chemistry department, a colonel in the Army Chemical Corps, and we can safely say a callous practitioner of completely unethical science. But, but, let's not forget, ambitious. Now, I believe one of these experiments, um, it's most likely pertaining to this man, um, but I believe one of the experiments in this vein was um, 
they had, oh, they took volunteers uh, and asked, who wants to stand underneath a nuke that we're going to detonate way, way up in the atmosphere just to see what happens? And they got like five dudes to agree to it. Miraculously, they all just died of old age by like, you know, 80, 90. No, no cancer or anything like that. But just the shit that we were doing when we, we, we really made the nuke and then asked all the questions later. I feel like all of these... <laughs> All these should have been kind of posed before we dropped it on a city. But that was experiment number one. God damn it. And then afterwards, we were just like, what the fuck else can we do with this, though? What if we put it underwater? What if we put it underwater? Oh, the fish are glowing. Oh, my. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's how you get Godzilla's. <sighs> February of 1969, a wrench strike swept through Pruitt Igo. It was the first of its kind in American public housing, a last-ditch attempt by residents to claim power over their homes. But it was too late. The strike was unsuccessful, and the housing authority began closing buildings, further worsening conditions. Copper wire was stripped, and so many windows were broken that from the street, pedestrians could see right through the high-rises to the sky on the other side, as if wearing x-ray specs. As if they were a very powerful scientist. Drug operations set up shop. The complex had become a haven for dealers, in part because rooftop lookouts could see a squad car coming from a mile away. Yeah. But that didn't really matter. The police would claim they were too afraid to enter the buildings anyway. They've always been cowards. That's, yeah, that's what that's you love in a cop, though. That's what you love in a yeah. cop. Um, you love it. Is, is someone who declares when a situation is just a little bit too scary for them to go do something. Oops, it doozles. I'm spooked. Just our nation's finest. Pruitt-Igo became internationally famous in 1972 when the first project was dynamited on national television, christening this the death of modernism. I, you've said that several times. I'm very curious what that means. What are they talking about when they say modernism? So in 1951, it had cost $36 million to construct Pruitt-Igo. It was the equivalent of $443 million in 2022. A sizable chunk. The buildings had been designed by modernist architect Minoru Yamasaki, one of the masters of new formalism. For Pruitt-Igo, he had okay. chosen to employ a style called internationalism. In addition to Pruitt-Igo, Yamasaki also designed the military personnel records in St. Louis. Yamasaki had wanted to include a modern sprinkler system in the center, but his designs were curtailed by the Department of Defense. One year after the first of the Pruitt-Igo towers was demolished in 1973, Yamazaki's personal record center burned out of control for 22 hours, destroying the only copies of some 16 to 18 million official military personnel records. Including, but not limited to, Big Cloud Project Number 7. Well, it didn't have Big Cloud Project Number 7, but it did have a safe on the sixth floor that contained high-profile documents, including the Navy file of Greek Prime Minister Andreas Papadorou and the record of Adolf Hitler's nephew, William Patrick Hitler. I'm... I'm going to assume that it's a tremendous loss that we lost those two. It really, really was. It really, really was. Um, and modern. when they say the death of modernism, by the way, modernism is just the design philosophy that the Pruitt-Igo buildings were built with. Um, it, it's apparently a, a, a kind of, of architecture. And a lot of people claimed that the buildings were architecture. This is where the 99% Invisible episode kind of crosses over. Um, there was a because that's a podcast about uh, architecture specifically. Um, okay. And it is, it, there was claims that Pruitt-Igo, and again, don't quote me here because I'm not primary sourcing this, but Pruitt-Igo was claimed to be a, uh, a design of architecture, like that the building design itself is what led it to be such a failure. Um, and that huh. this whole design philosophy inspired by this guy was, uh, you know, not, not great. Um, there was a third high profile, large work, 
uh, that Yamasaki worked on uh, that he called the Beacon of Democracy, and it was destroyed in 2001 because it was the World Trade Center. Certainly, he was not the sole architect for that, right? That's got to be like a, a much bigger project, I imagine, where you got to collaborate. No, I or think some he's shit. the guy. No, I'm pretty sure that's him. I'm 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 Home? almost 100 positive. That, that uh, Minoru Yamasaki designed the World Trade. Minoru Yamasaki designed the World Trade Center. I cursed. Will, we can, yeah, I, no, I think man. that man had a curse put put upon him. Oh, for sure. I think he sure. he wronged a witch at some point in his life. And wow, imagine being the dude who built Pruitt Igo and the World Trade Center. Just well to bring this whole story around and and tie back to something that was hinted at at the beginning a little bit of a Chekhov's gun the same year in St. Louis something pretty strange was discovered in an old ammunition bunker at the Tyson Research Center the Tyson Research to, uh that same year yes 2001 okay Tyson Research stored radioactive material on behalf of the Department of Defense and in a forgotten storage area researchers came across a bizarre stockpile thousands okay. of human baby teeth oh. Each set of teeth was stuffed in an envelope. Attached to each was a small Ye note card that had been filled out by a parent. How fucked is this story that an hour in, I have forgotten that you opened with baby teeth stockade? <laughs> That's an achievement, man. I don't normally forget that detail. That's It's hard to bury that lead. But you put it under like 70 pounds of rubble. Macabre? And inexplicable as the find may have seemed at first, the teeth had been amassed for wholly rational reasons. Tooth fairy. Around the same as around the same time as the economic cloud test in St. Louis, <laughs> an organization called the Greater St. Louis Citizens Committee for Nuclear Information partnered with Washington University and slew on a multi-million dollar federal grant to conduct the St. Louis Baby Tooth Survey. Yes, that's right. Very, very big cloud. Now I need you. Get this. Little one's gonna have some wigglers, right? There's some real some real loose ones. Whenever you tie that old Sally string to the fucking door, I, I need you to do me a favor and just this envelope. <laughs> it is pre-postage. Lucky you. <laughs> Already got the stamp on it. Just send those teeth on over. Yeah, you can see we did put Tooth Fairy. Yeah, two Tooth Fairy. It's it's clever. It's fun, right? <laughs> Um, do you still have the potted plant I gave you? <laughs> I just, you did not set it on your porch yesterday. I need to see the plant. The cloud's coming along oh. fine. Stop asking questions. <laughs> the biggest. Its aim was to collect and study 320,000 baby teeth from St. Louis's youngest citizens. Their teeth sent in by their own families. Spencer, they were looking for strontium. Why? As outlined in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, strontium-90 was ending up in pastures and fields, in grass consumed by goats and cows. It worked its way up the food chain into children's milk, and because of the chemistry of strontium-90 is similar to calcium, it was taken up by bones and teeth. I thought we established that the pores don't ask questions. <laughs> We agree well, no, no, they don't no, no. open their they door. They weren't asking for just poor people's teeth here. They wanted just kids' teeth. Oh, they at this point, they're like, look, we didn't too. poison right. you all, well, totally on purpose with the cloud. This is just because strontium's apparently in the fields where the cows are eating it, and then you're eating the cows, so you're, and it's in calcium, so it's in your teeth. Um, that's another really terrifying thing that someone has brought up, because other things that are stored like that, where it stores in your teeth, is lead. Um, lead stores in your bones and in your teeth. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing about it being stored in your bones. Most of the time, that's not that big a deal because your bones are hard and it doesn't leach out into your system. 
But let's say you had been exposed to a fuck ton of lead or radiation or something like that over your Mm -hmm. life, and it was stored in your bones, and then you aged, and then you developed things like osteoporosis, or just the general wearing down of your bones over time. Oh, shit, now you're old, and you are slowly dosing yourself with lead. Hey, Gen X, I'm not saying look around or anything like that, but, like, keep an eye on yourselves. Just, like, check, make sure that lead paint and stuff uh, and all the leaded gasoline, all of that shit. Yeah, you oh. you're, you think you're okay. You're probably not great. Uh, it's not going to be good in a couple years, so just hang in there. But yeah, if you want to understand why like, like your weird old relatives are suddenly like sounding insane and brain poisoned, one, it's probably Fox News, but the other part of it may be because they're being poisoned <laughs> by fucking all of the shit we have exposed ourselves to over the generations, slowly leaching its way out of their bones. Oh my God. That and the cigarettes, a lot of cigarettes, but... Decades down the line, fallout from nuclear tests in Nevada, including projects Leighton worked on, like Operation Plum Bob, it's back, was poisoning American youth. The Baby Tooth Survey is now heralded as a catalyst for the Limited Test Ban Treaty of 1963, which barred nuclear weapons tests in the atmosphere. St. Louis's baby teeth were indeed packed with radioactive metals. The study found that children who grew up at the height of the Cold War in 1963 had 50 times as much strontium-90 in their teeth as children born in 1950. And, survey says, they glowed a little bit more at night. Uh Uh-huh. The baby teeth survey has never definitively been linked to the atomic cloud studies, which are not widely known about in general. And the fact that St. Louis is home to some 33 Superfund sites could explain the irradiation of teeth by other means. Still, it's difficult to ignore that a hotbed, what a hotbed St. Louis was for radiological activity in the 50s. Philip Layton's first open-air tests were riddled with data collection problems, so the contamination is difficult to assess. But the baby teeth, if they were irradiated by the atomic cloud tests, are durable samples that would make for strong evidence of radiological contamination that seriously affected the population. While the extent of this damage may never be known, many children who grew up in Pruitt-Igo are still alive, and they face the likely consequences of these histories to this day. Nearly every funeral I have gone to among former residents was a cancerous death. Benjamin Phillips says in Target St. Louis, a documentary on the atomic cloud studies that draws on Dr. Martino Taylor's work. Phillips is a former city marshal seeking a class action lawsuit in St. Louis Circuit Court. They could have come out and said, we put cadmium sulfide in the air. Well, uh, pretty reasonable. The acres around Pruitt-Igo remain undeveloped today. They are fenced in, overgrown with brush. The empty lots have become dump sites for old tires and broken washing machines. The popular narrative still says that the people who lived in these towns were degenerates who couldn't care for themselves or their home. That public housing was communistic and a failed endeavor. So tear it down and let it be every man, woman, and child for themselves. We should recognize that narrative for the bullshit that it is. After all, this is one of the most reliable, time-tested strategies by the enemy of public programs. Drain a social service of funding, impede its functioning at every turn, then harp on the inevitable problems as evidence of the foolhardiness of attempting to provide free and universal services to the people. Paint it as a failure of the concept of public aid itself, instead of what it is, an act of sabotage. What is left in St. Louis are unanswered questions and unknowns that extend further still. The Army's documentation alludes to certain special tests still unidentified. Thus, Martino Taylor writes, an unidentified set of additional covert tests in St. Louis was conducted by the Army Corps, SRI, and Ralph Parsons Company that arose to a classification level higher than secret. 
Ralph Parsons Company is now Parsons Corporation. It's a defense intelligence secretary and infrastructural engineering firm headquartered in Centerville, Virginia, down the street from the CIA. A lot of data from these studies has gone missing, discarded by the Army and other entities. Nothing you need to worry about. At one point in her research, Dr. Martino Trailer traveled to California to put a copy of Order of Boxes of Philip Layton's papers. She had hoped to find that his files contained more information on the St. Louis experiments. Instead, Stanford University pulled the collection the very next day. As of 2022, the material still remains in the possession of Stanford's general counsel and closed to the public. Millions of American citizens were exposed to atomic cloud studies and related operations. The black community of St. Louis made for an ideal testbed. It was already a social write-off, part of the larger project of dispossession and displacement underway nationwide that was deemed urban renewal. Whether or not radium or strontium was present in the St. Louis mixture, one fact is clear. That military scientists, whatever they choose to unleash, had first decided that North St. Louis was politically powerless enough to become a laboratory for human experimentation. Last century's conspiracies are only now becoming intelligible. Radioactive particles are particularly difficult for humans to understand. They're invisible motes of energy that exist on timescales that the human brain isn't built to conceive of. Their long half-lives mean that their effects will ripple out for 10,000 years, as do the choices that are made at the behest of power and profit. For example, continuing to pump carbon into the atmosphere at a rate that will destabilize it for unfathomable lengths of time. Who knows what kind of mistakes now are being made in the name of science. One relic of this betrayal of black families will be the cancer hotspots that persist in St. Louis. Yet even beyond the local harms is a more abstracted way that the sabotage of Pruitt-Igo ripples across history. Public housing and grand public works were not always so toxic in American political discourse. The concept of giving good things to poor people had to be propagandized away. It had to be tarnished on the nightly news, clamoring about crime and acting aghast at Pruitt-Igo's decay. It is common sense to give poor people good homes. A place to live has knock-on effects for escaping poverty, addiction, health issues, and all manner of maladies. In a decent and functioning society, housing for all would be a given. The cloud experiments themselves, non-consensual trials conducted on an oblivious population, are yet another generational sin, one among so many of the empire's crimes. The scientific community, conspiring with the U.S. military, seized upon social apparatuses that were meant to house the most vulnerable and rendered them collateral damage in a quest to acquire new powers of death to weigh the consequence of atomic warfare that itself would be a crime against all humanity. The history of St. Louis's public housing does not have to be the fate of all. And yet we will be denied a fuller picture of that history as long as Philip Layton's reams of documents, notes, papers, 15 linear feet of them, in fact, have been sequestered away, Whoa. protected by Stanford University in the way that power protects itself. Jesus, 15 feet of notes. Reparations, it seems clear, should be at the very opening of any conversation about trying to right these wrongs. Medical care and housing would be the least we could do for the grown victims of Pruitt-Igo and its descendants. And for the rest of the country... Pruitt-Igo, however, however a remarkable story, however grievous a wrong it may be, is far from alone. Among all the histories of the working class and people of color who have suffered the crimes of capital and power. Once again, that was by Devin Thomas O'Shea, uh, a, a fantastic writer. I've read some more of his stuff. He is uh, He's at Devin T. O'Shea on Twitter. Uh, he's also that on Instagram. He's written for uh, Jacobin Slate, the Nation. He is uh, uh, and has a Patreon. So again, if you're if you're if you you know woo after you give Spencer money, uh, get in here and uh, and and give uh, give Devin give Devin a tip. After the, the first ten percent passes through my pockets, 
Exactly. Exactly. We we get our finder's fee for turning you on to this uh to this. Precisely. And, uh, and there you go. Yeah, you go from there. Spencer, uh, I uh, I apologize because I have now taken roughly three times as long as any cock and bull is ever supposed to take. You know uh, what? That's kind of your thing, though, when you co-host. That's your thing when yeah. you take the reins as you really kind of just um, you put me through a, a hurt marathon. I like to play in the space, Spencer. I like, to, I like to save them up and then really unleash my pent-up rage into a microphone at you for a while sometimes. So, uh, yeah, thank you for, uh, for, for being my conduit, for being a vessel. Well, Nathan, thank you for reminding me that uh, pretty much every talking point against public housing is rooted on utter propaganda. And yeah, also, buddy. also, I do want to thank you for the small gift of one of my favorite cock and bull characters, Mr. Cloud City. <laughs> <laughs> and for the record, again, that article was on Proteon at ProteonMag.com. It is Pruitt Igo, a black community under the atomic cloud by Devin Thomas O'Shea. We also want to thank Drupal's Pony Club for our theme, There Were Buffalo on the Ark, comes off the album Cholera. Thank you, folks, for t- continuing to tune in to our, our triumphant return in our road to 100. Uh, we'll, have to 100. A, we'll have a new episode next week. We'll see you then. <laughs>